You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. So glad to see you. It is Father's Day. Thank you guys for being here, and hopefully you had an opportunity uh, to get a little, if you're a father uh, here, we have a little treat for you, and hopefully we're giving you some Cracker Jacks. They said the sermon's horrible, but the Cracker Jacks are good. Anyway, if you're a first-time guest, we're honored to have you. You had an awesome first service, and now you're at the 930 group. It used to be you guys were the early people, but now the 8 o'clock people are really, they really love Jesus. They like to get it over with quick. But hey, I want a couple of things I want to share with you before we jump in. We're in Luke chapter 15. Uh, and uh, one thing is that we, next Sunday, have a huge announcement. For about a year and a half, our church has been praying for uh, and seeking after a family pastor. This is someone who oversees our adult discipleship and also all our age-graded ministries. And in the midst of COVID, we kind of put everything kind of on a halt as we were, we found the person, but we put everything on halt. But God's been gracious, and you guys have been generous, and we feel like that as we're coming out of COVID and looking into the future, this would be a great step for us. So next Sunday, I'm going to be announcing to you who that person is. We are so excited, and this person is going to be a great addition to our team. Also, I spoke this morning with some of our personnel in the Middle East, and I like to wish them, anytime there's a holiday, I like to wish them happy holidays. So today was Happy Father's Day, and God is moving in the midst of COVID-19 around the world. People are coming to Christ, and you know what? This week, our church fed hundreds of people literally in our community, and we saw the love of Christ just exhibited in people's lives being changed. And also, we had, we had hundreds of kids here yesterday picking up their supplies for virtual VBS. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then one other thing I want to share with you, we had, uh, we've been putting out these prayer signs that people are putting in their yards, and we've gotten a lot of messages, people praying for us, just people that we don't have no idea who they are, and we've been able to pray for them. Well, this week, one of our members had somebody that was their neighbor come by their house and say, I really need you to pray for me. I saw your sign in the yard. Well, guess what happened? She led her to Jesus Christ. And uh, so we praise the Lord for that. Yes, you can, give a, you can give a hand to the Lord for that. So we praise God. All right, Luke chapter 15. Let's stand. Let's stand because we're happy. And it's Father's Day, right? Yes, don't forget it's Father's Day. I expect something. Um, all right, verse 11 of chapter 15. And the Bible says, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Praise God, you may be seated. 
We also want to welcome everybody that's online. We're so glad that you join us. And also those listening by radio, thank you guys for being with us today. Well, it's Father's Day. And thinking of this, you know, we live in a world that desperately needs good dads. Amen? We need men who love their wives and love their kids, who do not delegate their responsibility to be the, the spiritual leader of their family. We don't need men who are passive, that constantly just uh, live their lives lazily. We need men who are going to stand up and be the dad of the family. Now, I know some of you, maybe you've had a bad dad, and so Father's Day for you is horrible. Maybe some of you have actually lost a child, and, and it just seems to death, and, and it just seems very horrific to celebrate Father's Day. Maybe, maybe this year you've lost your dad, and, and listen, we want to celebrate dads, and if you have a bad dad or no dad, you have the greatest dad in the world. His name is God the Father, and we want to celebrate him today. But you know, in America, 43% of kids go to bed each night without their biological dad in the house. And so we need to pray that God would raise up a generation of men who would love their family and serve well. Well, this morning, speaking of a good dad, how many of you have ever uh, misplaced your kids before? Um, I never have, but I came really close a few times at Disney. Um, There is nothing probably worse than the feeling of a parent when you cannot find your kid. Have you ever been at the store and you turn around and they're gone? Uh, And it's very scary. Maybe some of you kids that are here, and we're so glad. Aren't we glad to have all the kids in here this morning? Let's give them a hand. Yes, thank you for being here. There's nothing worse than being losing your parents. Well, this morning we're talking about a dad who lost his son, not in death, but just in life. Now, as we've been, if you've been with us these past few weeks, we've been going through Luke chapter 15, and last week we looked at two parables, and these two parables set the background for the final parable, the parable of the prodigal son. This is the climax of the trilogy, the last parable that Jesus is going to share to these Pharisees who were grumbling at him, loving on lost people, loving on people that were far from God. And this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, is probably one of the most famous parables of Jesus, maybe outside of the Good Samaritan, and it is in length, the longest of Jesus' parables. Now, each of these parables is about something lost being found. And each character, main character in these stories, teaches us something about God. So in the first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, we saw, and this is what we learned, is that God actively seeks after sinners and rejoices when they repent. In the first parable, we saw that there was one lost sheep out of a hundred. In the second parable, we saw that there was one lost coin out of ten. Today, we look at one lost son out of two. But as we're going to read this story this week and next week, we're actually going to see that both sons were lost and both sons needed to be found. Now, this story has two acts. Act one focuses on the younger brother, and act two focuses on the older brother. So in act one, the lost son, in this, in this, in this story, in the lost son, we see that the sinful rebellion of the younger son was no match for the grace and love of the father. The sin of the younger son could not outrun the love of his father. So let's just walk through this real quickly. First, the rebellious son. In verse number 12, the Bible says that the younger son asked for his share of the property that he says that it was coming to me. Now, this guy is impatient. He, we, we don't really know how old he is, but he's old enough to know better probably. But he doesn't You know, normally you, when your parents pass away, you get an inheritance. Well, this guy didn't want to wait for his dad to die. So he basically says, Dad, the best thing for you, or actually the best thing for me, is that you be dead. That would be bad for you, Dad. 
And so the best thing for me is that you be dead so that I can get your money. But since, hey, dad, you're not dead yet, can I get my money now? Now, if your kids came up to you today and said that, what would you think? Basically, his son was saying to him, I wish you were dead, because here, this son loved his father's money more than he loved his father. Now, we would think that would be absolutely scandalous. Probably we would never think of ever saying that to our parents. But in ancient Israel, this would have been completely unthinkable. This would have been tantamount to mutiny. And so this young man could have not dishonored his father nor disgraced his family any more than he did. The father could have in this moment had his son put to death, or he could have had him publicly shamed. There's a, there's a kind of a ritual or a ceremony that, would, that the, the community would do called kazaza, which literally that word kazaza means the cutting off, in, in which if you had a rebellious son in the home, you would take, uh, the, you would take the kid out into the community, and, and you would put him, you, he would be there, and then they would get a large pot, and they would break, somebody in the community would break the pot right in front of the kid, saying that you are cut off from the community because of your rebellion against your family. Well, instead of the father having his son executed, instead of this father having his son publicly shamed with the ceremony of Kazaza, he divides the property. Now, I don't, you know, we saw in the cartoon that he immediately just pops out with the money. I don't want you to completely get that idea. Now, I want to share with you this interesting word, and I think it's very interesting that, that Jesus shares this word, this word property. And the Bible says that he, that he divided his property. This word in the Greek is the word bios. Uh, we get the word biology from the word bios in the, the Greek can also mean life. And so when the son asked for his property, he asked for his father's life, his share of his father's life. And what does his father do? He tears his life apart to give the younger brother his share. So what did he do? Well, a lot of his wealth, a lot of his property was in real estate, was in animals, was in, uh, was in jewelry. Some of it maybe was in currency. And so according to uh, the law, uh, the older brother would get two-thirds. If there were only two siblings, the older brother would get two-thirds. They would get a double portion, and the younger one would get one-third. So you think about this. In this day, it would be absolutely unthinkable for the father, for he's not even dead yet, to divide up his life to his kids. And you think about just the, the pain of agony of being rejected by his youngest son. But yet he does it anyway. This seems to be un probably unthinkable to the audience that were listening to this story. So in verse number 13, the Bible says that the son then gathered all that he had. So again, a, a lot of what the son was given was in property and was in animals and was in jewelry. And so what the Bible, I think the word gathered here means is that he essentially liquidated all of those assets into cash. He doesn't keep the land. Now, to a Jew, the land was your identity. It was your heritage. It was your destiny. You were tied up in the land. This was the promised land that God gave you. So for anyone to sell their family land for money would be completely self-centered. And, and you see the self-centered attitude in which he says to his father, give me what is mine. Give me what I think I'm owed. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. Because in this moment, the family lost one-third. The family lost one-third of all of their wealth. And he comes and he's very ungrateful about it. He doesn't think we don't see a thank you in this. What he's doing is he demands privilege without any kind of responsibility. Now, one other thing to note is that the inheritance 
that was to be given to your children and to your grandchildren, which the Bible says is a blessing to do, was not meant for you to go and blow. It was a trust that involved responsibility to the family. Yes, you were given your inheritance, but you were to take that inheritance and steward those resources for the future to prolong the name of your family. Well, here this son doesn't do that. He liquidates all that he has, and then the Bible says that he goes into the far country. He journeys to a far country. He, he leaves the family. He leaves... The, the, his people, the community, and he goes to the land of the Gentiles. He goes to Las Vegas. He goes to Miami Beach. And here, the Bible says that he squandered all of this money in reckless living. He starts buying stuff. There was a hole burning in his pocket. He buys a new car, a new condo, new clothes, new cell phone, gets new companions. And he goes out and he buys and buys and buys. He goes to the bar and buys everybody's drinks. He buys all kinds of rounds. Everybody loves this dude. He's a big spender. He's living completely out of control. He's left his father's house. He's left all the responsibilities. He can do whatever, whenever, however, with whoever he wants. His life is Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. He's got everything that money can buy. He is living large. And this is how most people in our world want to live. They want to be happy. I've never met somebody, well, maybe met a couple people that really wanted to be miserable. Most people want to be happy. They want to discover who they are through self-actualization, and they want to live their best life now. They don't see what's up ahead. They don't care about the consequences of their action. They don't want anybody to restrain them or constrain them. They want to be who they want to be, and they justify it as, I want to be happy. So the kid that moves out of his parents' house after graduating. He goes to college to get some more knowledge, but he starts partying and starts drinking and starts doing things that he would have never done in his parents' house. Or a husband or a wife who's miserable and unhappy in their marriage gets a divorce and the husband or the wife finds somebody else and lives with them and starts a new life. Or the couple that starts getting a lot of money and they start buying things that they don't need to impress people that they don't like, but yet they're happy. And in their mindset, everything is going well. I'm happy. It must be good. God must be showing his favor on me. But here's the problem. The pleasures of sin are but for a season. They are fleeting. Now listen, I want to be quite, quite transparent. Sin is always fun. It's always fun. I remember growing up hearing preachers say, sin ain't fun, don't do it. And I'm like, well, listen, if it's not fun, that means you ain't doing it right. <laughs> sin is fun, right? It's fun for a while. It promises much, but it always ends in misery. It always ends in pain. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And we see this in this well-known story of the prodigal son. In verses 14 through 16, the Bible says that there was a famine. Do you think it was just kind of an accident, a coincidence that there happened to be a famine? As this man ran out of money, there began to be a famine. And the Bible says that he began to be in need. Times were tough. Money was gone. Friends were gone. He is alone. He's helpless. He's penniless. He's friendless. He ends up getting a job that no Israelite in their right mind would ever do. Feed pigs. What is your profession? I am a professional pig feeder. Wow. And the guy gets so hungry, so hungry, that he wants to eat what the pig eats. That's pretty hungry. You know, my kids come to me sometimes after dinner, believe it or not, and they'll say, I'm still hungry, Dad. Do your kids ever, any of you ever done that? And they say, Dad, I think I want some more ice, I want some ice cream. 
And I, I look at their plate, and they've halfway eaten it, and I say, well, eat more dinner if you're hungry. They say, no, I'm full. I don't want any of that. I want ice cream. And I look at them, well, if you can't eat that, then you can't have ice cream. And so they sit there and whatever. And then an hour or two later, they'll come to me, and they'll say, Dad, I'm so hungry. I want ice cream. And I say, no, you can't have ice cream. You can have a banana. And I say, Dad, we don't want a banana. And guess what I say to them? You're not really that hungry. Right? That's, you see the logic here, parents? Because if they were really, really hungry, they'll eat anything, right? So that was, I thought that would be like an applause line right there, that all you parents are like, yes, preacher, yes. Thank you, one person, sympathy applause. It's like golf claps. But this guy is so stinking hungry. He's willing to eat pig slop. Do you know how disgusting that is? I don't want you to get the idea that they fed pigs prime choice freshly cooked filet mignon. No, they got the scraps. They got the leftovers. They got the rotten bread and the rotten fruit and the leftover meat and the vegetables and God only knows what. It is a bucket of nasty. And this guy is so hungry, he is willing to eat a bucket of nasty and he couldn't even get a bucket of nasty. The Bible says that they didn't even let him eat that. The pigs were like, no. <laughs> that is what we call rock bottom. Rock bottom. Probably the darkest times in this guy's life. This guy went from 60 to zero. He's now empty and broken. What he thought was an ideal is now an ordeal. The great theologian Eminem <laughs> said this. He said, you have to be careful with what you wish for. I've always wished for this kind of life, but it became more of a nightmare than a dream. So here we see that God arranges the circumstances or the circumstances happen to this young man hit rock bottom. And you know, maybe in your life, God, did you know that God arranges the circumstances of your life to bring you closer to him? God will allow you to hit rock bottom so that you can see that he is all that you need. Because when you finally get to rock bottom, that's when you can look up and see him. Now listen, I'm not a prophet nor son of a prophet, but I have no doubt that there are some of you or maybe someone that you know is going through a situation in their life that they're at rock bottom. Maybe you're here today and some reason mysteriously you showed up to the 930 service here, but you're at rock bottom. God might be speaking to you right now. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. What is God saying to you? Well, we see scene one of act one is the rebellious son, but now we're going to see scene two in act one, the running father. In verse 17, the Bible says that the, well, the young man is out feeding the pigs, probably resolved, has been resolved. I'll never go home. I can never go home. Yes, I'm out of money, but I would rather work with the pigs than go home and face the shame and the scorn of my family and community. That was his motto. We don't know for how long, weeks, days, months, years, but finally he got to the point where the Bible says that he came to himself. He finally realized that whatever consequences he had to face at home were better than the living hell he was living now. He wanted to change. He went from an ideal to an ordeal. Now he wants a new deal. He wants to change. You know, John Maxwell said that change only happens when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. He was ready to come back home and face the consequences because whatever consequences he would face at home paled in comparison to the direness of this situation now. So he has now come to himself and he puts together this little speech. He knows that he has blown it as a son and so his speech is, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired 
servants. Because in his mind, he's like, listen, even if I was a hired servant in my dad's house, I'll have something to eat. Now, in this guy's mind, the issue that he needs to get resolved with his dad is over money, over lost money. And so because it was about lost money, and also he had an empty tummy, the best that he could hope for was that if he came back home, that his father would maybe let him take upon a job in his house as a servant to restore the money that he lost, to pay the debt back that he lost, so that maybe, just maybe, if he paid off all that he squandered, his dad would let him come back and be a son. And so as he is returning, he's not returning home to be a son. He is returning back to his father to be a servant. And as he's coming back, he's still lost because he's in his mind assuming that he's going to now have to go through the gauntlet of public shaming, that there would be a large pot broken in front of him, that he would have to endure the shame and the ridicule of the community and the family. He would have to look at his older brother in the eye. He would have to then beg and plead for just a slave's job in the father's house and that his father would be absolutely angry at him. And that's what he's walking home with, these assumptions But what happens? You all know the story. But instead, while he was afar off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. The word, the the idea of running or running here is not a casual jog. It's not a fast walk. It was an all-out sprint, a zone seven run. Now, the, the listeners to this story would have just completely thought this is crazy. One, a dad would liquidate his assets while he was alive and give to the son who seems to be ungrateful. And two, that when the son comes home, the father would run to him. Now, why would this be astonishing? Well, in this day, a dignified pillar of the community in a Middle Eastern context would never run. I mean, think about how many old men do you see running even in America? Unless they're running in a marathon or running from something, they're nobody running. Some of you haven't ran in years, right? Some of you dads. I ran in 1972, you know? Think about that. Well, instead, this man ran. And to run, you have to think about what he had to wear. Back in those days, men wore robes. And so for him to run, he would have to tuck up his robes, thus exposing his legs and embarrassing himself. But yet he didn't care because the Bible says he was moved by compassion That word compassion is is interesting. It can mean love in action. He saw his son, and his love for his son sprang him into action. That It didn't matter to him, the humiliation. Now, in the cartoon that we saw, it seemed like there was a long road, and nobody would see what was going on. But I don't want you to get that in your mind. They would have all lived in the village. So as the young man is coming to the father's house, it would have been seen by everybody. So here you have the young man entering into this village and the father's house may be on the other end, but everyone would have been there watching because they didn't have television back in those days. They didn't have anything. I mean, this is live TV, all right, for them. And so there this young man is, and he comes walking in, probably looking pretty dilapidated. didn't have any shoes on. His, his clothes were just ratty. He smelled like pigs. And the father here sees his son and runs, and he takes upon himself the humiliation and the shame. He doesn't wait for the prodigal to come to him. He races to him because he had compassion. The word compassion here, literally, we get it from the spleen, from the gut. It's, one, it's that feeling that you feel when someone that you love is endangered or someone that you love is hurt, that feeling, that feeling of, of pain in your stomach or those butterflies that you feel that make you want to do something. 
It's like when, when my kids were smaller, they would go on the monkey bars at the park and, and he would be there and, and my heart the whole time was like, God, please just don't let them break their arms so I don't have to pay that big deductible. Lord, just please. So, you know, it's the number one thing in my mind at the moment. So anyway, but I'm just saying, but when they fall off the monkey bars, you just run in their compassion because they're hurting. Well, here, his father runs and the Bible says that he embraces his son and he kisses his son. And his son is here trying to give his speech. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Maybe one of your servants, but instead the father just overwhelms the young man with his love. While the son was talking, he immediately says to the servant, hey, bring the best robe. Whose robe is that? That's the father's robe. Bring the ring. What was the ring? It's a ring of sonship. It was a ring of authority. It was, if you were with me in Esther, it was the signet ring. Bring me the family ring and let's put it on his finger saying that he is a son, and bring the shoes. What's so important about the shoes? You know what's important about the shoes? Hired servants didn't wear shoes. Only sons wore shoes in the house. Only sons had shoes. And the fatted calf. This was the calf that everybody had been fattening up for that big celebration day. Meat was a delicacy in the Middle East. It wasn't necessarily eaten with every meal. It was a celebration See, what this young man hoped for was to be a servant. That's what he hoped for. Like the best, in his mind, he's like, he's weighing out all the options. And in his mind, like the best outcome would be that he would be a servant. But his father restored him as a son. His mind was, I'm going to work off the debt. But the father here is saying, no, we're not going to have any of that. So when we see this story, where's the son's shame? It's gone. Where's the punishment? It's nowhere. Who paid for it? The father. The father absorbs it. Instead of shame, punishment, and humiliation, there are robes, honors, and a party. And you know what this is? This is called grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting better than you deserve. And the sweetest and richest word in all of Christianity that most of us have a problem with to believe is grace. See, our natural tendency is that when we sin against God, we think that we have to work the debt off. Because I'm going to have any part of that. Because we cannot be restored on the basis of our works. We can only be restored to God on the basis of His grace. See, in this story, someone had to suffer for the consequences of the son's reckless living. Either it would be the revenge of the father and the suffering of the son, or it would be the suffering of the father and the restoration of the son. Either the prodigal would suffer, or there would be a substitute, and there was a substitute. The father substituted himself. He suffered the pain of rejected love. He suffered the financial loss. He suffered it all. All the prodigal had to do in this moment was surrender to the father's love. He just had to accept in this moment that he was found. See, I want you to remember that these parables have a common storyline, a common theme. Something that is lost is found by someone who actively seeks it. In this story, the one who is seeking is not the son. The one who is seeking is the father. And what this tells us about God is this, is that God loves us enough not to pay us back for our sins, but to bring us back and to even take us back from our sins. See, in this story, it may look like the son was the one who decided to come back, but it was actually the father who was seeking the son to take him back. Do you realize that God loves you enough to bring you back, and all you and I need to do is just surrender to that love? Just surrender to it. You know, there are times that kids make bad decisions. There are times that kids do something wrong. And when that happens in my house, which is a rare occasion, just, just kidding on that one. 
what we try to do is we say, hey, what happened? Who did it? And normally, well, it wasn't me, is the first defense. And the second defense is, I didn't, I didn't do it, it wasn't me, or this is why. And so what we try to say to each kid when in the situation, we say, listen, just be honest. Just tell us the truth. We're not going to yell at you. We're not going to get angry. Just tell us the truth. We love you. And here's what we say. If you continue to lie, there will be consequences. But if you tell the truth, we won't be mad. Why do we do that? We do that as parents because we want our kids to be able to tell us anything and everything and know that we're going to love them and help lead them and guide them and shepherd them. But what we really want them to do is we want them to stop fighting our love and actually be honest about their sin and surrender to our love. That's all God wants from us. Is not to make excuses, not to say it wasn't me, but to stop fighting and to just surrender to his love. And that's what the son does. And in verse 24, the Bible says that the father looks around and he says, this is my son who was dead but now is alive. He was lost but now he's found. He's celebrating the son's resurrection. You know, last week we talked about when the, when the lost are found, God rejoices. Well, here we see a picture of that with his father because he loves his son. Here's the question as we end. How deep is the father's love? How can you, you know, how can you know how much God loves you? How do you know that? How do you know that you see it in the cross and you see it in the resurrection of Jesus? The cross of Jesus Christ was God running after us and taking upon himself our shame. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was whipped and, and mocked and nailed in his hands and his feet. He was stripped naked in public. The cross of Jesus is Jesus taking our place for our sin and our rebellion and our reckless living. See, the cross of Jesus Christ is a declaration that even though I deserve condemnation, Jesus took my place. And the resurrection of Jesus is Jesus making all things new. It's because of the resurrection that Jesus took our garments of sin and put them into the grave and clothed us and clothes us with the robes of his righteousness. He gives us the ring of new life, the authority to overcome sin and the ability to pursue God and reverse the curse of sin over our lives. And he puts on our feet the gospel sandals of peace, which enable us to stand in our privilege as a child of God so that we can boldly come into his presence without fear. That's what it means. You say, Pastor, what does this, do you, you realize that this is a story that I've heard for years and years and I know it? I could probably preach it better than you. You probably could. How does this help me in the midst of the pandemics of our day? You know, we're going through two pandemics. We're going through a medical pandemic, and we're going through a cultural pandemic. How does this help me deal with the issues of our day? How does this help us think through social justice? How does this help us uh, want to eradicate racism? How does this help us not live in fear and uncertainty? Because how, how does this keep me from getting the virus? How, how does this help me? Here's how it helps you. When you understand how much God loves you and what he will do to keep you, it helps you live a whole lot better. See, if the cross and the resurrection of Jesus are not true, then the story of the lost son is just a fairy tale with no real meaning. But if the cross and resurrection are true, then it means that none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace. 
that no sin is too wicked, no country is too far, no recklessness is too bad, no shame is too great, and no pigsty is too filthy. That if the cross and resurrection are true, your history does not have to determine your destiny nor your identity. That your future is not defined by your past mistakes, but your future is defined by the promises and the power of God who makes all things new. That's how we can live in COVID-19 world. That's how we can live in the cultural pandemic of our day is that we do not rest on the government. We do not rest on our health. We do not rest on our righteousness. We rest on the promises and power of God because of the great love of God over our lives. And with that being said, here's the greater hope. That if the cross and resurrection are true, there is no prodigal, son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, husband or wife that is too far gone for the grace of God. So therefore, what this story should tell us is don't give up, don't lose heart. God sees, God knows, God cares. God wants them found far more than you do. So trust him. And thank God for him. And don't look down on other people. Because the only difference between you and anyone else is the grace of God. Run to the Father because the Father is running to you. So if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, it's available. Maybe you've been running from God and you've hit rock bottom. We'll realize that Jesus is there. Or maybe you're here and you have a family member that you feel like is too far gone. It's too far to give up. Too, too far gone that you should go ahead and give them up. Hopefully this story will help you realize that there's no one too far for God's grace. So if you're here and we're not able because of some constraints of COVID-19 to have a, a normal time where we ask people to come down, but if you would like to have someone pray with you or maybe you have a family member that's far from God or maybe you here today, you want to trust Jesus as your Savior. You can take your phone out right now and text to the number 407-338-4024. 407-338. Those of you that are watching online, those of you that are listening on the radio, 407-338-4024. And just type your name in and say, I, I need you to pray for this family member. I want you to pray for me. I want you to want you to help me know how I can have a relationship with Jesus. We ask that you would do that this morning. Well, let's pray and then we'll have a song of response. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the fact that you can save anybody. And God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would do a work that only your Holy Spirit can do so that you would get the honor and glory for it. Father, those that are watching online, help them right now to make a decision to trust you more. Father, all of us in the room, those listening and other means, Lord, we just pray you give us grace to trust you more. You're the good, good Father. That our sin runs deep, but your grace runs deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand as we sing. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.